Good morning. Good morning, everyone, both there in uh, Auspicious Cloud Temple East. And uh, I guess no one's in Auspicious Cloud Temple West right now. <laughs> but uh, it's hard for me to see all of you. Um, uh, our our cameras sort of uh, narrow in. So right now I can see very clearly Trisha and Roshi. And uh, I think I see Curtis and a number of other people whom I know. And uh, let me ask again, just to make sure that my, my the sound is coming through all right. If I could get a thumbs up or something, yay, good. Um, thank you, Galen. Ha, ah, Royce. <laughs> <laughs> and back there, yes, Kent. Uh, yeah, Constance. <laughs> Hello, Constance. <laughs> and Tim in his black mask. Uh, you know, it, it reminds me of a, a Galen's uh, quick movement, almost immediate movement to respond to my desire to see all of you reminds me of a story of them. And I don't remember the master's name, but he woke up and, and his uh, tenant came in and um, he said, I just have a, I just had a dream. I just had a dream and I want you to interpret for me and the attendant uh, went and got a bowl of water and uh, a cloth I think this is the order right and a, a cloth to help him wash his face <laughs> interpreting the dream <laughs> Very interesting. And then uh, 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 another student had been uh, outside and heard the exchange and came in and asked, how's it going and so forth. And the master said, um, says, yes, we've been, I've been, I've been, I had a dream and I asked my attendant, I don't remember the name because I didn't put it in my notes but I'm remembering it uh, sort of offhand, top of my head, he said, uh, and I asked him how to interpret my dream. How do you interpret it? And this other student went out and got a bowl of water for him to drink. <laughs> it, is, uh, it is our way to, uh, to respond to the situation, and it is the teacher's way 
to acknowledge that the that that response is wholehearted and appropriate and caring and compassionate. It may have nothing to do, or may, I don't know, I don't know what his dream was, and may, but may have nothing to do with the actual dream. <laughs> What's being interpreted is that that very sincere request between student, between teacher and student for a meeting, for a meeting of, of this moment. And I'm going to hope that I also can offer that to y'all. You know, when I was, uh, when I was invited by Roshi, to give this Dharma talk, it was at the occasion, uh, it was after the occasion of her Dharma talk on October the 5th, or October the 16th, I think. Um, somewhere in the in late October. And she talked about, uh, at that Dharma talk, she talked about, um, it was, it, first of all, it was entitled, the gate is, is already open, in which she spoke about five paths. First was the path of accumulation or preparation. Second, the path of joining. Third, the path of seeing. Fourth, the path of meditation. And fifth, the path of, more, of no more learning. Um, Turns out she, at that time, I, I had uh, made an observation about her statement that Shackleton had gotten advice on his uh, effort to attempt the crossing of the Antarctic from um, a group of Norwegians who knew a lot about working and exploring in very, very cold climates. and. Uh, they had uh, suggested uh, some very good, given him some very good advice about the use of dogs and sleds and so forth. And she made the observation at the time that while he had sought out the advice, um, he didn't quite understand it. And while he did bring with him the dogs and sleds, even brought with him, uh, I think it was a Model A or a Model T Ford, um, he didn't quite understand their appropriate place in his effort to cross the Antarctic. So he felt like he felt like he had, he, even though he had gotten the advice, he felt like he knew that he couldn't use the advice because it had come from someone else. It wasn't his own advice. It was his own understanding. There was, was a miss there. And so he felt like for these dogs, 
that what he should do is he should put them on the sleds and that the people should pull the sleds and the dogs. Um, and so she offered this Dharma talk to me and she also said, um, this was in late October, she said, and we can talk about it and uh, get together with joy and set up a time. And of course, I was like Shackleton. I heard the advice, but I didn't use it. And so I've suffered, and perhaps this morning you'll get to suffer a little bit as well. (laughs) (laughs) Um, She mentioned that that I, along with uh, several other members, sort of, um, with the help of the First Unitarian Church and Reverend Bob Shively, may he rest in peace, um, allowed us to sit on Sunday evenings in the in this in the sanctuary uh, after he had. Uh, invited Thich Nhat Hanh to give a public lecture uh, at the First Unitarian Church in Houston. And uh, I remember him telling us the story of the meeting between he and Thich Nhat Hanh. He was very nervous. Uh, And uh, Thich Nhat Hanh invited him to uh, not be so nervous that everything would be fine. And so it is, uh, it is uh, another thing a little bit interesting about this January 22nd date that uh, it is the year's passing of Thich Nhat Hanh. So a year ago uh, in January in Vietnam where he was on the 20, uh, on the I guess it was 21st or 22nd, he passed away. Um, We started out this group as a, um, mainly because I think Bob Shively was a student of Thich Nhat Hanh's. We started out this group as an order of uh, inner being. And uh, we met on a regular basis uh, on Sunday evenings at the First Unitarian Church. And a couple of weeks ago, um, Troy Porter gave a way-seeking mind talk, and he mentioned his first time um, at the First Unitarian Church. And the Incredible, important. It was a very difficult time for him, by the way. But the very incredible importance of Tim taking him aside and having a conversation with him. Perhaps some of you went upstairs with Neely and had a conversation about about our practice here in Houston as well. Um, And so you met that conversation uh perhaps 
with the beginner's mind. Um, when I started uh, at the First Unitarian Church, I think I brought the beginner's mind as well. Uh, many of us, when we come to practice, we, be, we come there with the beginner's mind. Thich Nhat Hanh was inviting Bob to return <coughs> through calmness and presence of the condition and the fact that he'd done and the, and the First Unitarian had done everything they, they needed to do to make the evening very, very successful. He didn't need to be nervous about what was going to be what was going to be happening. Suzuki Roshi says in the first chapter of Zen Mind, Beginner's Mind, that people often say that Zen is difficult. And uh, he and then he goes on to mention the fact that the difficulty of Zen has got nothing to do with sitting cross-legged in the lotus position. It's hard. Not everybody can do it, but that is not the difficult part of Zen. He said, in effect, the difficult part of Zen was to keep the mind, the beginner's mind pure. And uh, I remember when I first read Zen Mind, Beginner's Mind. At the time, I was working at Baylor College of Medicine. And I was working in the basement making computer runs for a group of us who were working on something called an environmental, behavioral environmental psychology. Um, and the essence of that psychology is that our behaviors are, are, are to a great extent determined by the behavior that we're in. And I would invite you to look around at your friends in the Zendo and see that they are, in fact, exhibiting Zendo behavior at a Dharma talk. That's what they're doing. And we can't see into their minds, but their behavior is Zendo behavior at a Dharma talk. That's very powerful. <laughs> Makes me realize when I see all of you, the responsibility of the person sitting up here, even if on Zoom, responsibility of this person to exhibit the same Behavior, Dharma talk behavior. And Dharma talk behavior begins long before the Dharma talk. But I misunderstood something of the pure mind. 
and the beginner's mind. And I would, ex I, might, I might suspect that many of you there, if you're there for the first time, might not clearly understand your own understanding of beginner's mind. I'm not sure if that's true. Maybe you all do. But, um, but that's something to turn over deeply. What is my understanding of beginner's mind? Even when we practiced and maybe even reached all five paths, although probably not the fifth path, but at least uh, the first three, we're always in the state of trying to keep the beginner's mind pure, even with all that learning. Because all that learning that we've done, or haven't done in my case, all that learning may be unpacked again and again and reflected on what we're maybe not clear about. I think that's uh, something that I'm finally, after 30 or 40 years, beginning to deeply understand. Some of you have much better karmic, uh, uh, karmic benefits so that you already understand that or have understand, understood that some time ago. But it's taken me a really, really long time to understand that. I want to say that um, I am beginning to understand it. And hopefully that understanding will continue and deepen. But helping me understand it Uh, is is sangha, and it's sangha that is here, right there, right now, and on Zoom, and it is sangha that physically is no longer here as a embodied self, if you will. But as I look at the zendo. I can see those people. And they're there even when we don't know that they're there. And they're leaving their teachings and their wholesome actions with us. So that's really important for us to all appreciate that we come to this point in our lives, not alone all around us. Um, the platform that Roshi Galen is sitting on, the altar, the big drum, the plans for opening up the side room, all were accomplished. Not in one 
fell swoop by the effort, but by the efforts of many people. Some of you know those names. Some we're not sure of because at the same Dharma talk that I was invited to give, Galen talked about the beginnings of Renzo N. I think it was in 1470. And so all of those practitioners at Renzo N, through the teaching lineage that came finally here through Galen and her teacher, Tenshin Rev Anderson, and his teacher, Shinryo Suzuki, and so on and so forth. All the way back, they're here as well. They're part. They're part of our of our teaching lineage. They're part of the zendo right there. Actually, <laughs> the way maybe the way it's laid out, certain things that we do have been brought to us. The second bell that we, uh, at the completion of service, was brought to us, the bowing, the, not, not a gasho, a shashu, bow, was brought to us and discussed. Uh, it was brought to us by Tenshin Zanki, and we discussed it, and we decided, yes, we'll do it. And so when we do that, Shashi Bao. Tension is, is right there with all of us. And there are many things that I don't know that are that have been brought to us. I don't know their origins. I just know that they're when we do them wholeheartedly, we're embodying the origins completely when we do it wholeheartedly, completely. Um, She spoke about Shackleton, and she asked the question after she spoke about her interest in her study of Shackleton. She asked the question, how many of you know the name Shackleton or know who he is? And there were maybe one or two people who acknowledged that. I certainly didn't know who Shackleton was at the time. Uh, I might have simply said, even if I said it only quietly, I don't know. Um, Shackleton had a dream of crossing the whole of the Antarctic. And uh, even that dream... Even that effort um, was not done without the help of many, many people. Even when he got advice, it was given with wholeheartedness because those people wanted to see him succeed. Maybe it was impossible at the time for him to succeed. The actual crossing didn't finally succeed until the 1950s. Um, 
when we talked about this, I went out and was on my walk and I found in a bookstore this book. I don't know if you can, to me, it looks upside down. <laughs> and uh, this was in the 1950s. Um, there's a picture of a tractor that's standing over a crevasse. Maybe sometimes we stand over a crevasse and can't, uh, can't make the, the leap from one side to another. In this case, you can see The two uh, rear tractors are on uh, on one side of the crevasse. The one tractor is down, down in the hole. Scary, isn't it? And then uh, the final uh, right side of the tractors, uh, right side tractor is on the other side of the crevasse. You know, at any given time, maybe, that's a picture of us if seen from the right perspective. You know, part of us in, in part of us stable, like the rear tractors, more or less stable, not really. <laughs> and needing to balance as we lift one foot to go forward, the other foot supporting us. What are those two feet? What are they? Well, I would suggest maybe they're more than just two feet. But at the very least, they're the two feet of practice and learning. Dogen says, as far as the eye can see, based on your study and practice. So I take that now much more to heart, study and practice. Roshi Galen said, I sit almost every, well, she said I sit every day. <laughs> I certainly recline every day. I'm not sure about sitting. But uh, reclining is one of the four poses, and it's a good pose to, to, to be in when we're trying to sleep. <laughs> a friend of mine, a friend of mine who I am in a, a Dharma discussion group with called Tea with Dogen. Uh, and we're right now we're going over uh, acupuncture, the it's, I guess, fascicle 28. Um, and I didn't write down again the name, but it's uh, Dogen's discussion of the acupuncture point of Zazen. And uh, we were having a discussion last week about that. And uh, sleep somehow came up. Uh, 
and he he was a, he is and was a Dharma heir of Rishi Halifax. He now lives in Kyoto with his wife and stepdaughter. Uh, his name is uh, Genzan, and he facilitates our group. It's been going on for uh, a number of years. I got into it when I came here to Santa Fe. And we're going through the Shobo Genzo, and uh, we read a, a fascicle, one fascicle, the same fascicle we'll read in, in at least two translations. Kaz's translation and Nishishima and Cross's translation, and they're quite different. Um, and that's a help to see the various perspectives, to see two different perspectives on something. It is helpful, and I would invite us all to not be afraid to inquire about the perspective of the other person on the same thing that we think we're seeing. You might find it quite different. I know in my own life, uh, having been married now for 48 years, that uh, I'm coming to realize how clearly Language is inadequate without that question of what is your perspective? I have to ask, what did you mean by that, my dear? And she has to say, what did you mean by that, my dear? And we have to ask, I think, with friends, what did you mean? Explain a little bit more. And in that explanation, they get to see what you understand, but they also get to begin to see what they understand. And that is the big help. Now, I did, I did put together a Dharma talk, but as is my case, my Dharma talks tend to go off script very quickly. Um, I had originally said that I, I thought that um, I told Galen that I thought that the mistake that was being made by Shackleton was a mistake of not understanding um, in Zen mind, beginner's mind, Suzuki Roshi had three, three sections. He had right practice, right attitude, and right understanding. And so I said, I think it was a mistake that I made often about the two leg, the, this, the walking of practice and understanding and the balance that attitude gives us. So I still think that that's an important thing for me to learn, perhaps for you to investigate in your own lives. 
You know, what is this idea of walking? Walking being the firmness of practice, the stability of practice, and the forward movement of understanding. I always thought I understood very quickly. <laughs> I remember once Peter Coyote came to the Zen Center and uh, he would give a workshop on using of masks. And uh, we would have breakfast in the mornings. That was fun. But I also remember something I could have taken to heart, but had a difficulty doing so. And that was deeply listening to what the other was saying. And that I couldn't talk at the same time that I was deeply listening to what the other was saying. And of course, much of our talk is silent talk. So it's good for us to sit and explore our, our desire for silent talk. Because underneath that desire for silent talk is real silence, very important silence. That is our aspiration for doing good doing something wholesome. Um, for me, and I want to end a bit, I want to end here, actually. <laughs> for me, um, every day, morning zazen is the is the stability of my life that even I forsake. And it's crazy that I forsake it. But it is, when I don't forsake it, a foundation that helps me step off into the complete day. And in that foundation, Zazen is important. Actually, the night before is important. Not staying up too late, not watching too much television, eating moderately, sleeping well. Those are all part of that, that stability. And sitting is important. But for me, really one of the most important parts of that is morning service. And morning service at Houston Zen Center has been, it's not like morning service at Apaya. Morning service at Apaya is quite different. Morning service at Apaya does have a regular routine. It's always the same. Um, morning service is, uh, starts with repentances and uh, then and then we 
chant in Sino-Japanese the Heart Sutra. We then chant the translation by Cause and Roshi Halifax in English. On some days, we'll do a well-being service like we do on Tuesday mornings in Houston Zen Center. Um, we do a, a number of bows and so forth. But our practice on, on weekday mornings, except for Friday, with, which is the day off, and Tuesday, which is the well-being service, is always the same. But it always includes repentances. And on every day, except for Tuesday morning, for me, that's about 6 o'clock in the morning. For you guys in Houston, it's uh, by then it's about 7.10. Uh, for Miko on the East Coast, it's even later. But he may have already had a long night or a long day treating patients and visiting on rounds and so forth. So all across the country, people are doing this at a different time. Me in the morning, a little bit later for Mitko, you know, for our sister Sanghas in New York, also a little bit later for our sister Sanghas on the on the West Coast, way earlier. <laughs> We're all doing it different. But for me, the important part is that repentances and then we take refuge. And even, the, again, the refuge that we take uh, is in, I don't know what the original origin of it was, Galen. I'm sure knows, but I think the first time we did it uh, may have been at a service offered by Tension Zenki, but it may have also been a full moon service. And I don't remember exactly, but it's, uh, it's very important to me. And in my own practice in this little Zendo that I'm in, uh, you don't, you haven't seen it. I have a few things on the bookshelf. I have my altar, candle and ash, uh, incense bowl and a flower and a, a statue. I now have a picture of my mother, my older sister and I in a swimming pool, a picture of uh, the end of a retreat some number of years ago, candle, so forth, etc. But uh, we do refuges, and those are very important to me. Um, I want to continue to take refuge in the Houston Zen Center. And as the Paya opens up, and as my Tiwa Dogen group and another Dharma study group that I'm involved with expand and get more um, people in, I want to remember that when I go, I'm taking refuge, but I'm also there to help 
in the refuge of the others. So to do that, I need the other part that I that I mentioned, the two steps, practice and study and learning. I need the second part, the forward movement, movement of study and learning. And we all need that, but we need it. We need it sometimes seeing clearly what our own delusion is about that learning and then going deeper through the help of others, teachers and friends. Have discussions with your friends. Have discussions with teachers. Have discussions even with yourself. That would be good. So this is my very off-script Dharma talk. Uh, maybe um, we'll be coming back to Houston sometime later this year. And I have promised to let Galen know, maybe there will be a chance for me to practice in person with you. I hope so. I miss you all terribly. I'm, my heart is warmed deeply by the practice that you offer and by the technologists who during these last two years have brought us Zoom so that we can practice together across this great distance. Thank you all so very much for being here and being a part of this Sangha.